This is the Prosperous Family Podcast, where we explore creative ways of prospering mentally, emotionally, socially, physically, financially, and spiritually. So pull out your notepads, put on your thinking caps, and be open to new ways of approaching your day-to-day life, new ways of creating prosperity, happiness, joy, peace in your life and in the lives of your family members. Welcome to Prosperous Family Podcast. Hello and welcome. We're so glad that you can be here today on Prosperous Family Podcast. Today, I have the special privilege of interviewing Heather Jean with Confidence Through Cabaret. And Heather, we are so glad you can be here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. So we're going to get started just by getting to know you, Heather. Tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah, so I uh, have four grown children, uh, two that are my stepchildren that I've raised since they were very young, and then two that are kind of my, that I gave birth to, if you like, although we like to consider them all as, uh, you know, one big happy family. Uh, I am a widow. Uh, My late husband had Alzheimer's in his 40s and passed away about two and a half years ago. So I like to think, I like to think I'm done with the parenting, but you never are. (laughs) No, that is so true, isn't it? Um, Yeah. So you've had some very interesting and unique family situations. So you said your stepchildren were young. How old were they when they came into your life? So they were eight and almost 10. Mm -hmm. Um, And then mother had left them. So they are fully mine. (laughs) That is wonderful. That it's, you know, it, it is definitely something that stepchildren choose, right? Whether you become theirs or not type thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of times people get really hung up on those labels about, you know, this is my half brother or my stepsister or my, you know, and all of those kind of things. And I think, you know, when you raise children together, they're just siblings. They're just, they all fight with each other. They all get along with each other. You know, they, and we've never really been one for, you know, kind of labeling things because it just never makes sense. It it Mm -hmm. was just, it was just about being family. My mom was adopted and, you know, she always considered that those parents were her parents, period. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when people would say, oh, those are your stepchildren and, you know, they're half brothers and whatever, I would say that's, 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 that means that you can't ever really feel like you have a family if you start distancing people out. So we've never done that. I think that's wonderful. I am conscious of that concept. I'm not always good at it. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of funny. I'm the ninth of 10 kids, as most of our listeners will know. It comes up rather regularly (laughs) when we talk about family. And and I'm really close to some of my brothers and sisters. And some of my brothers and sisters, I'm just like, I'm okay if I hear from you every five years or something, you know. But but it's it's weird to me almost because with my stepchildren, I I have actually um, more of a relationship than I do with some of my siblings. And yet 
it's awkward for me to say that they're my child. Um, it, it just is. And that's partly out of respect for them, though, because they have at different times made it very clear that I am not their mother and should not try to replace them. So I think it's just, uh, you know, work with your family kind of dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's different if uh, if you're t both of you are kind of natural parents are in your life and then a step parent steps in i think yeah. that probably can feel quite different um and there's some privilege that could go along with being a step parent as well because you know there are things that you you don't you don't have that responsibility for but you can shed wisdom into it in a different way you know when you're when we're teenagers we don't listen to our parents but our step parents might seem cooler or wiser or whatever you know True. So I, 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 I just, um, I, I never, we never had that conversation about you're not my parent or, or, or whatever, because it, it just, we just never built it like that. And, and I think it, a lot of it comes down to the circumstances of how you became that family unit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you have a great relationship between all of you. Yeah, and I have had my my oldest is my is my daughter, and she, she I've had the apology uh, conversation with her now, where she says, you know, I I could have made things a lot easier a long time ago, and I owe you an apology because she has children now, so I have two grandchildren as well, mm -hmm. and she 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 now realizes a lot of the stuff that she put me through. I think we all get to that stage at some point. Yes. Yes, it, it's a beautiful to see the circle of life, and and yet, to when you are in it, it's like no, I would never apologize. <laughs> yeah, this, this is the way it should be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, I went through a lot of a lot of um, processing of things. My my mother passed away in uh, January of twenty twenty. 2021 mm -hmm. sorry so just a year and a half ago mm -hmm. and uh i have been through a lot of processing around programming that i received from her that she received from her parents it's you know quite ancestral mm -hmm. and i i had to do a lot of forgiving uh after she passed to to the the things that she was doing her best for so it's not it wasn't about her but it was about really kind of changing some of the programming that didn't work for me you know my nature was very different to what i was expected to do you know um to be the good girl if you like to, mm -hmm. so i i i have had to go through a lot of that and i I would have loved to be able to have that conversation with her. So I, I really encourage that with my children about, you know, okay, hands in the air. I've screwed up. I've got a lot of hindsight now. Should never have told you this or should have told you that and, and so on, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and one example I can think of really obviously is that I did not practice self-care. And mm -hmm. so I could tell my children all day long that they need to look after themselves. But if I'm not doing that, then they're not doing that. And now as adults, they don't do that either. So that's one of the conversations that we have quite regularly about, I taught you wrong there. I didn't mm -hmm. show you the right way to, to, to care for yourself and to just sit and rest and that that isn't lazy and that you, you know, that, that you do need that downtime. Um, mm -hmm. And so we all need to learn this together. Mm, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, a lot of nuggets in what you just said. So let, let's pull them out a little bit. So how did you become aware that you needed to do more self-care? Yeah, so uh, in 2019, my 
uh, late husband passed really quite unexpectedly, although there's only one direction Alzheimer's goes, but but we just thought he'd live a, a long time um, with it. And so it was, it was very unexpected and he had done a lot of very um, uh, I, um, not ideal financial things, let's just say, mm. in, in making decisions uh, while he was sick. And it, oh. it left us in a very so vulnerable part of the position. Illness? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and he was very involved yeah. in my business because um, I've had a, a training consultancy and, and coaching um, consultancy for over 25 years now. Oh. And he was involved in that and he made some financial decisions that he, we didn't realize he was making or that he was not able to make, um, mm. you know, mentally. Um, so, so I had to un pick a lot of that stuff in 2019 and then 2020 I was just getting my life back on track having gotten handle on what kind of debt he'd left and what kind of things he'd done and uh and then of course COVID and we all know what happened there and yeah. so in that time I had never taken the time to process a lot of things that had happened to me so I had, during that time, I had been through breast cancer. Uh, I got the all clear just the just after COVID lockdown started. Uh, so that was five years of, of, you know, kind of waiting for that all clear. And, and I had also been through an abusive marriage previously. Mm. Um, so I never processed any of that. I just kind of got really busy and got on with things and shoved everything down. I thought, well, that's gone now. Mm. <laughs> but it's not gone if you mm, don't no. let it go, no. right? Yeah. If you hold on to it in your body. And and so when COVID happened, uh, being locked away for somebody who's naturally extroverted was a nightmare because that's where I draw energy is being with yeah. people. And I wasn't with people. And so that was a really tough time. And I, I had to allow a lot of processing to happen in order to just release that. And I did a massive amount of work. That's how I started Confidence Through Cabaret, um, just in, in working around what do I want and who am I? And as a mother or a parent, but especially a mother, uh, a lot of times we get stuck on our labels. So we're a mother, we're a businesswoman, we're a wife, we're a, I was a full-time carer as well. I was a, you know, going through cancer, you know, so there were lots of things that were labels and then they all disappeared. Uh, I was no longer all of those things. And of course I'm still a mother, but I'm not a full-time caring mother, you know? Yeah. So my, I was just going through empty nest at the same time as my husband passed. So there, you had there a were lot lots of things. Yeah, a lot on my plate, but also a lot of um, realization once COVID hit that it was kind of, a, it was very much actually a blessing because I needed to have that downtime to, to process things. And that's yeah. when I got involved very much in the, in self-care. Mm-hmm. And I, I I had to let go of the labels and find out who I am. And that's mm-hmm. another hindsight that if, if I was going through motherhood again, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I would take that time to really stay in touch with who I am and what I need and not always being the person who is there for what the family needs. Mm-hmm. It's really easy to, to put yourself last especially if you're a business person and you know you've you've got you've got your working as well and you know lots of other things on your plate then it's really easy to to just get deceived by i am my labels 
Yeah, it is. It is. And, and it's simply to, to divine ourselves by, by those things, but also to, um, to sort of trap ourselves in those things. Yes. Um, I have a program that I call Know Thyself. And, and that is exactly my objective in it is to investigate who you are and then how you use who you are in all of your roles. Exactly. And, and exactly. You are not your role. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's such an important thing to learn. And it sounds like you are having that conversation with your children as well now. Yes, very much so. Yeah, because I don't want them to go through that either. And, you know, I do a lot of work around imposter syndrome. And mm -hmm. my archetype in imposter syndrome is the soloist. I don't like to ask for or accept help when it's offered. Mm -hmm. That's just something that I, I, I've, I've had to learn to do. And that's okay. something I help other people learn to do. But my, my children are exactly the same. They're very much soloists and they, they need to learn to ask for and accept help. And, and that's something we all, we all have kind of been going through together is, you know, how do I do that without my ego, my pride and all of those things jumping in and telling me that this is not the way. Oh, uh, so what are some of your red flags? How do you know, oh, wait, maybe I'm not receiving enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, that's usually my default. So, so usually I kind of start with that. Am I receiving enough? I, I need to start <laughs> there because it's a given okay. that I might not be, or, or very probably I'm not. So, mm -hmm. um, so, so for me, uh, when I, when help is offered, that's the easiest time to accept it. And mm -hmm. I used to struggle and people would offer help and I would say, no, I'm fine. Thanks. And it could even be something small, like somebody helping me onto a train with my bags, you know, and mm -hmm. I would say, no, no, I'm fine. And I would be desperate for help. Um, so, so I, um, I, that's the easiest time to be able to recognize that I'm not receiving enough is because I'm declining help that I already need. Um, and then, and then I can start to do the work on what else do I need? So, you know, who am I? What do I want? What do I need? And all of those kind of questions I work through on a regular basis. And, and that, what do I need? If I don't know what I need, I probably need help because I'm, I'm just completely ignoring my needs. That's a good way. That's a good way. Um, do you have like some specific needs that you know you let go by the wayside now and then? Yeah, I mean, not you know, not having enough downtime, not having enough rest. I seem to. I'm. I'm. I can be a workaholic. I have always been a workaholic in my adult life, but um, you know, I. If I'm sitting for the evening relaxing, for example, I have several friends who will send me messages and say, are you relaxing now? I hope so. It's nine o'clock at night, you know, mm -hmm. because they know that I'm, I'm, I have, I'm, have a tendency to keep on working and it'll be 11 o'clock at night and I'm still working, you know? So, um, so I have people that check in and I, I do the same for them with, you know, are you getting enough sleep? Those kind of things. But, but also, um, I feel like, let's say it's a weekend and there's not much going on. 
I, I feel like I'm being so lazy. There's stuff I need to be doing. The house needs cleaning or the garden needs doing, or there's lo- always more work that I want to be doing because I love what I do. And that's the, mm-hmm. that's the thing. I feel like mm, I should be doing more of that. Right. Um, but, but I know that I'm not as effective when I'm doing too much of it, even yeah. if I'm enjoying it. It's that having that, that downtime and not hearing that voice in my head saying, you're being so lazy. There's right. more you could be doing. Right. I I have one day a week that I shut down all work. And it almost sometimes takes me the whole day to get work off my mind or to just have a notepad that I make little notes on. I'm going to do this tomorrow. Today is not the day for doing that. You know, I, I should say that's really two days because Sunday I try to focus all my thoughts and energies on, on spiritual things. And then the other day is house and family and grocery shopping and stuff like that attempt. <laughs> yeah, I try. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing is, 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 you know, if the house doesn't get done or the garden, my, my lawn's not mowed right now. And it's like, but that's okay. You know, it's not. And, and why should I mow the lawn? Because the neighbors might see it's long or mm-hmm. why should I mow? You know, when I, when I, what I really need is sleep or rest yeah. or to do Fine. something nice for myself tomorrow I'm going to see a friend because they're they're off for the day and and so I'm not going to mow that lawn and mm-hmm. but that's okay like you know th- there's no there's no rule that says we have to do it and very often it, the the thing in our head is what will the neighbors think because that was my programming very much what will the neighbors think so we have to do it and I, I'm just mm-hmm. like actually the neighbors are fine and I need to go and spend some time with a friend Besides, you know, one one thing I have learned in coming to know myself and understand the the energy of a leader is that you are going to inspire people. And yes. maybe your inspiration in this situation is to tell inspire them that it's okay to leave the lawn for a day and go spend this time with your family. So we just got to focus on how we want them to interpret that is the way I like to do my own mental game. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, what they're, what they're thinking and maybe they enjoy doing the lawn and that's wonderful. That's yeah. great for them, you know, and, 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 and maybe that's their downtime because they, that's fun for them. But I think, I think the thing is, is we're, we're so, we're so good at imagining what other people are thinking of us. What will, what will people think, you know? Mm-hmm. And we do that sometimes with our children when they're young, you know, we sort of say, oh, well, what will people think if my child is acting out in this way? And it's like, Actually, it's not really about what they're thinking. It's about you and your child in that moment it and is. what's going on there, right? Yeah. And forget what everybody else is thinking because it, it really doesn't matter. No, and the fact of the matter is whatever they're thinking is the lessons that they have to learn. And exactly. if you are thinking more about them than about you and your child, you're not present to that moment and you and your child are not going to get the best out of that moment. And I, I love that you're saying that because I, I think that that whole kind of being present in the moment is so, mm-hmm. so important, you know, and as a parent, we're often not present in that moment because we are thinking about too many other things and also what's going to happen next. And, yeah. you know, and I, I I had an interesting time and you you might have had this as well, having a range of ages with, with your children. But uh, with my first two children, we didn't have all the technology. And even mm-hmm. with my third child, we didn't we only were just getting the technology. So I didn't spend their school concerts and things behind an iPad recording. I was there watching it. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. then by the time my my fourth child was was uh, old enough to be in school, the technology was there, and there is a very big difference between watching them in a concert behind your video camera and watching them in that live moment. There and you is. think, oh, I need to keep this, and I'm gonna, you know, want to hold on to it. They're gonna want to watch it, and I can tell you, mine, none of mine want any of it. I you know, pretty much never would watch it. Right. I actually had that um, happen to me before, you know, having a camera on the phone was so popular because my brother spent, uh, so we really do have a family reunion every five years where my mom says, everybody has to be here for this weekend, you know, and we do have other impromptu things, but once every five years, she's like, everybody has to come. And so like in 1990, my brother had a video camera and it was one of those big honking massive ones. And he spent the entire weekend filming everything that happened. And he sent all these videos, you know, he made copies of them for all 10 children and their families. And do you know how much time we spent watching those videos? You know, and the, the whole core of it, we spent very little time, but one of my other brothers took the recordings that that brother had made and made like a 30 minute segment of some little highlights. And yes, I watched that a couple of times, but still, you know, in the 30 some odd years since then, I have rarely put it in the player, right? And, and then I, um, you know, have watched him. He walks around with a recording device wherever he is ha since 1990. And it's just annoying. You can't interact with him very well at all. Yeah. But the flip side of that, I have gotten to a point where I take photos now and then. I do try to every other year or so get my family together and have formal family photos. But if it doesn't happen for like three or four years, you know, I still have them. But what I have learned is what you are describing is if I'm totally focused on trying to record the moment, then I'm not in the moment. Yeah. I, I remember watching this 4th of July concert. You know, it doesn't matter really what it was. It was an outdoor concert community event. And on my left-hand side is this family with three or four kids and they're all playing and joking and, you know, just having fun together. And on my right-hand side is this woman and she has a, probably a three-year-old child. And the entire time she's taking photos time, photos of him and making him pose and do things like that. And I'm like, what a difference these two families will have, you know, are, are you alive or are you constantly posing for the photos? And I agree with you. It's so, so different to just be present. Yeah. And I think with digital photography now, we, we have so many thousands of pictures. They're never going to look at it. When my parents mm -hmm. moved out of their home into care, they, I, I threw away, you know, I, I, I kept a few pictures, but I, I threw away the majority of them because I just, I know they were physical back then, you know, so yeah. I couldn't, I just didn't, I knew they would sit in a box somewhere and then my children would throw them out because I wasn't going to look at them and they certainly wouldn't. Yeah. And it's, it can be really deceiving with digital photography because you think, oh, it's fine. It's great to have these. But every once in a while, my kids like to see one or two pictures of, you know, when they were younger, they don't want to sit and watch hours of it. And, right. and I, you know, if you if you've got young children and you're listening to this, how much would you would would you want to 
sit and watch of your childhood versus, you know, how much you could be there with your children. Yeah. And, and it is nice to have some of those key memories um, brought to mind and like to see my mother smiling in a family movie, because a lot of my memories often were focused on when she was stressed and angry, but seeing her smile reminds me, Oh yeah, she did have happy moments too, you know? So yes, it's important to have some memories to, you know, reprogram us maybe, but yeah, I agree. So let's talk for a moment, kind of switch gears. Tell me about cabaret and how you got involved in cabaret. Okay. So I said to you that I um, have been, have had my own business in uh, training consultancy and coaching uh, for over 25 years. And so I ran big conferences right up until COVID really. And, and again, starting now um, doing it, but I, I traveled all over the world. I, I had major corporations, big people um, gatherings, and I, I ran these trainings. So mm-hmm. you'd think that I was probably one of the most confident people in front of a large audience and never needed a microphone. I could project my voice anywhere and no problem. Uh, and then one day I woke up, uh, and I was in Canada actually visiting my parents and, uh, I live in the UK. And so I, I woke up and I had this voice in my head saying, I need to do burlesque. Now I'm not a voice in your head kind of person, right? <laughs> I, I know it happens to people and, but it's never happened before or since for me in that strong a way. And I didn't know what burlesque was. Okay. And so I had to look it up and my friends were laughing saying, what are you doing? You're, well, you're not going to do burlesque. You're way too old. And this is very strange. Uh, and so I came back to the UK a, a few days later and that weekend there was a burlesque taster. And I thought, okay, this is all aligning here. I'm going to go and find out more about this. And we did a very simple exercise, which was body tracing, which is taking your hand, running it up your arm or across your collarbone or down your leg and, uh, and you know, in front of a mirror. Nobody's really watching you because they're all doing it as well. And I wanted to cry. I was yeah. so uncomfortable with focused attention on myself. Hmm. And so I and I thought, well, this is nothing dangerous. I need to explore this more because how is it that I'm able to get in front of large audiences and and run conferences for days on end and I can't do something with my hand on my arm, you know? Mm. And so uh, I, I took classes and the first two weeks I wanted to cry and people kept saying, why are you coming back if you don't like it this much? And I said, because this is what I need. You know, I need, yeah. I need to become comfortable with me and I need to become comfortable in a space where it's okay if other people are not comfortable like you have to be okay with other people not liking you and I was such a people pleaser and I had to have everybody be okay with me if possible and so I started exploring that uh, that movement and started exploring taking up my space and and you know, I can do that in a corporate setting really comfortably because uh, I believe that they're paying attention to my slides or my materials or what, you know, the topic, what I'm sharing with them. And that's what I'm hiding behind because I never like to think that they're paying attention to me. Huh. And so when you're when you're on a stage in a cabaret, they are only paying attention to you and there is no hiding because you better be in your spotlight and we're sharing a message. So typically burlesque is about 
Uh, I mean, it's often associated with stripping and so on. It's not, not necessarily. You don't have to take anything off. You can do whatever you want. It's about sharing a narrative or a story with your audience, a message that you want to share. Hey, Marion Hobson here, and I'm breaking in to tell you about my Genius Moms training. I believe that many moms are living way below their potential. They are constantly giving to other people and not allowing themselves to really see the good that they can give in the world when they take charge of becoming their best selves. And so I am, I train moms both on helping their families to grow as we are doing here on this podcast, but also if you find my Genius Moms page on Facebook, you can learn about future trainings that I will be talking about there. So make sure you find us. Just to clarify, so cabaret, I I only know it from um, the words here and there, and I know there was a movie called Cabaret. Yes. It was, I thought it was more about singing, but it sounds like you're calling burlesque. So I just want to, for me and for those of our listeners who may not know, uh, just clarify cabaret, burlesque, what are we talking about? Yeah, so a cabaret does have singing and it has dancing and it has all kinds of different things. And and it and it has often burlesque. It has drag kings and drag queens. Sometimes it might have um, a contortion, or it might have you know stand up comedy. It might have somebody reading poetry. So cabaret is more about the the venue and the setting. Okay. And so cabaret is is very typically a small audience. Okay. And what that creates is an intimacy with your audience because you can see them all. And they can mm. see you. It's not mm. like being in a huge auditorium and you're singing or, or dancing or whatever it is. Uh, and you can't see everybody. And they're connected to you, but you no, don't really connect to them. It's a very intimate kind of connection. Okay. Um, and, so, and so burlesque is one of the things that you would often see at a cabaret. Not only, okay. but especially, you know... Um, especially kind of cabaret that is based around kind of, you know, singing and dancing. Um, some cabarets, like I say, would have comedy or, or, or poetry or, or, or other things, some, sometimes so, aerial. So it's a performance in a small group setting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, but it's very much charged around um, making a statement or sharing a message. Okay. So it's not just standing up and singing with a beautiful voice and there you go. It's much more about what it is that you're sharing. So often you would have a theme in, in a cabaret night. So, okay. you know, it, it might be a, a, a theme around, I don't know, womanhood or it might, you know, it could be all kinds of different themes. It might be a theme around, you know, the time of year, like Halloween or, you know, so there would very often be a, a theme and then it would be your kind of take on or your message that you're sharing within that kind of theme. Okay. Yeah. So, and so, so when you started this program, you were, you, you said there was a weekend training or something that you went to yeah. and they, it sounds like they were basically trying to help you stand up and be seen. 
Well, they were helping. They were, I mean, that was what it was for me. For other people, it was much more around feeling good in their body. Okay. uh, For themselves. For other Mm -hmm. people, it was more about learning dance moves. For some people, it was about how to, you know, start a professional career because there is a Mm -hmm. a whole career in, uh, in in performing in cabaret. Uh, So there was different motives for different people about why they were there. But for me, it was very much about how do I be seen as myself? Okay. I didn't know that when I walked in the room, but that's what it turned out to be. And so that is how you have taken it into your business. Yeah. So when the when COVID hit, the two things that I couldn't do that my business relied on was gathering large groups and traveling around the world. And so <laughs> I decided that I have a lot of experience. I have over 30 years of experience in 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 training people in interpersonal skills and in in you know presenting yourself and in you know what leadership is about and what team working is about and and so I decided that I wanted to share that, but I wanted to share it with a unique spin that is about not shrinking in your space, not apologizing for who you are or what it is that you want to say. Uh, it's Sometimes it's about modifying how you're saying it, but it's not being apologetic about asking for what you need. It's not being apologetic about, you know, uh, shrinking yourself and and sort of you know uh i had this idea but um i don't know if it, oh well okay well i'm sorry if this is wrong you know it's not that's how so many women enter the business place and when people went on to zoom they didn't want to be seen on a camera you know and and, and when people were themselves yeah <laughs> exactly they could you, see themselves you are looking and, at yourself also yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, and then, so, so what I realized very quickly when I wanted to start sharing these skills with other people was that, that this is actually what I'm doing in cabaret. I'm stepping into my spotlight. I'm not standing in the dark corner. Mm-hmm. I'm taking up space because your whole audience wants to have that energy and to share that, that, that moment with you. It's about knowing what your message is and sharing that loud and clear unapologetically and 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 being open to receiving the response from that yeah and the exchange of that and, and so and- that's where confidence through cabaret came in and i i sometimes will do you know i'll show people how to do glove peels and things and i'll do i'll do those kind of you know online classes which is fun i love doing that but but mostly it is about fully feeling good in your body mm-hmm. it's about feeling good about who you are and what you need and and how do you step into that spotlight wherever your stage is because we all have stages now because we have an online world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so uh so th- so that's kind of the 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 kind of things that we play with and like i say in, from there comes things like imposter syndrome because then it's oh i can't do that and you know what will people think and i'm not good enough and you know i, I couldn't possibly do a facebook live or whatever it is I couldn't mm-hmm. possibly start my podcast. And my question is, what, what do you want to do? You know, let's start mm-hmm. there. What are you passionate about? And and then we start to explore that. And so I always in my programs where we're, we're talking about, you know, showing up unapologetically, we always have one day a week where we're talking about moving in our body without our brain telling us how we're supposed to look or how we're <laughs> supposed to move. And it, that it really aids like- the work. Yeah. So I took a modern dance class in college and um, we were all like given one assignment and then 
expected to act that out and um, express it with our bodies. And so, for instance, one, the one, one that I remember very vividly is taking a morning shower. Like, and, you know, we have 20 people in the class and 20 dances about taking the morning shower were completely different. And some were very, you know, let's do exactly the actions of taking a morning shower. And you could totally tell that that's what they were doing, even if you didn't know that that's what the assignment was. And others were like, let's move our bodies in such a fluid way that you could not tell. And you would just have to guess what their subject was. But it sounds kind of like that, that we all express ourselves in different ways. And this is just an avenue to help them understand themselves. Is that, am I reading that right? Yeah, uh, you are. You're reading it very well. I think, I think the other thing is, is that, um, you know, a lot of times when we're, let's say, for example, you want to show up, you want to show up on a Zoom call or you, or, or even in a, in a meeting face to face these days, we can do that. Uh, or, or you want to start a podcast or whatever it is. Um, when, when you are shrinking and uncomfortable and apologetic in your body and you're, you're, you're covering yourself up in some sort of way, then you're, you're, it's hard to build trust with other people. Hmm. So even mm -hmm. if this isn't work that it sounds like you want to do like for yourself and for your own self development, you have to be able to build trust and relationships with people. Yeah. And when we are, uncomfortable in our own body and we're shutting ourselves off other people don't know why or what's going on but what right. they do know is that you seem to be hiding something yeah. it's really hard to build that rapport with people who seem to be hiding something and so you know key factor it's such a key absolutely. factor they don't know what you're hiding so they can only guess what you're hiding and but but you're right. If you don't have that confidence that you are able to communicate and and it's such a critical thing that you're describing, because when you are doing something like cabaret or modern dance and you start to pay attention to how your body communicates your message instead of just how your voice communicates your message, then people can get that trust at a deeper level, at a faster level, even if they don't understand all of your words. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And there has to be congruency between what your body's doing and what your words are saying and how they're being said. There, right. there has to be that. Otherwise, immediately. And you, you only have to think about, you know, how politicians are analyzed, you know, how how are they do they seem authentic? Does it, they seem like they're really going to follow through on those promises and so on? Right. They have heavy amounts of coaching. Mm hmm. And you can do the whole kind of fake it thing, but there yeah. will be micro things that will show that you're not really sure or you're not really comfortable or you don't really mean it or believe it. Right. And so why not just start from that place of where you're strong? I always say start from where you're strong. Why not just start from that place of feeling, learning to feel comfortable in your body, even if you want to make changes and you want to, I don't know, drop a dress size or get more fit or whatever it is. That's fine. You have to start from somewhere. You know, I, I do aerial dance as well. So uh, whenever I talk to people about pole dancing, they say, oh, I'd love to do that, but you have to be really fit. And I say, well, how do you think you get fit? You start doing it. You know, it's that. <laughs> yeah. Right? So so it's it's really very much about you know that that you learn to get comfortable with who you are and where you are and we we're right back to 
this being present in the moment. Right. And then if you want to make changes, then great, that's fine. But there has to be acceptance of who you are and, and, and self-love is so, so important. It, it, all of it, especially in communication and building relationships. I'm going to take us back and I think I can tie this in. Let's see how well I do. You were mentioning in, in talking about healing and grieving over your mother's passing that you had to let go of some of the good girl and imposter syndrome. And you had things that you had to let go of that sort of, she had trained you to live because they were ancestral. Tell us a little bit about how that process has been affected by your coming into burlesque and, and cabaret. Yeah, um, it, it comes in very much because, and you tied it in very well, it, it comes in very much because, you know, uh, my mother was raised by English parents. Mm. Uh, and so all of my grandparents were, were English and then immigrated to, to Canada. Uh, and so in, in especially in, in those days, in, you know, the sort of early 1900s, People were very much a stiff upper lip. That was the culture. We don't say anything. We don't complain. It still exists. I'm living in England now. So I've come full circle back, but it still very much exists uh, around just don't make a scene and, you know, just just don't say anything. And, you know, uh, and I think it exists in a lot of other places as well. You only have to think about when you get a dinner at a restaurant and it's cold and they say, how, how is it? And you say, oh, it's fine. It's great. Uh. Instead of sending it back, you know. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people uh, feel that way. But so so there was a lot of kind of apologetic. I would imagine, and I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine that my mother being adopted also had some play into that about that she needed to belong. And, and there was a certain amount of acceptance that wouldn't yeah. have been imposed by my grandparents because I do remember them, but uh, but would have been in her own psyche about, you know, having been given up for adoption and, and she never chose to explore what happened there. But that whole kind of thing about um, what roles that we play came into it as well. So for example, my brother was taught to mow the lawn and I was taught to weed the garden because I would marry somebody who would mow the lawn and, you know, all of those kind of things. Yeah. So, yeah. so there were, there were a lot of uh, things that, that I was taught with what what's what a what a good girl does and what one can expect from their life and and how we behave you know as women uh, and there's there's quite a lot of apologetic behavior that goes on in there you know kind of you know oh I'm I'm sorry I can't do everything I'm sorry I'm I'm not all the time superwoman um, and I think you know when my grandmother was going through that, there was a lot less things that she needed to be doing because she didn't need to be tackling uh, technology. She didn't need to be running a business. She didn't even need to be driving a car. She her mm -hmm. job and a very hard job was creating a wonderful home, right? So mm -hmm. that was what was expected of her generation. My mom was in that generation where you know it was a bit of both, you know. So she mm -hmm. she worked part time, and then I started a business, and I. I I think I think what happened was that I translated a lot of those those beliefs through to that I'm supposed to still you know do everything in the home and be the perfect mother and now I'm running a business and 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 I had what I would call toxic positivity in the end because I just pretended everything was wonderful and I <laughs> you know and, I and love I, that phrase yeah toxic positivity that's exactly what my mother had. <laughs> 
Yeah. It's just, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And of course, if you stop to think about it, it wasn't so fine. So my first years in, in, in uh, cabaret were very much about expressing all of those things. That was a lot of my message was that, you know, I didn't have to be all things to all people all the time. And actually I could also be a woman. Hmm. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? I, I think a lot of people are finding some of that same process that, yes, I'm in this business role or, yes, I'm in this leadership role. And how do I open up and still be a woman in that role rather than because I think and we're, we've gone so many different directions with this. But I think a lot of um, that shift from where your grandmother was just taking care of a home and family to now you are taking care of, of a business and a family, you know, a lot of that shift has, has caused us to, you know, just fit into new roles rather than how do I work all of who I am? Like you, like we talked about at the beginning, be who I am in whatever place I am, whether I'm building a family or making a, house into a home kind of thing or building a business and and showing up for other people how do i show up as me first and foremost in each of those roles and it when we have too much of that baggage hanging on it's really hard to move ahead but i want to go back to this toxic positivity because i know for my mom it was Think positive, think positive, think positive. Like she tried to drill it into us to the point that she didn't teach us how to process the negative. It was just shove the negative down. And so for me, when I started unpacking that negative, it became my life. Like I focused totally on the negative and I had to come back to, all right, we have to process the negative. We can't just shove it down but we need to get beyond the negative also. Um, have you, do you have any keys or tricks about how you make that balance between processing but being able to live a happy life? Yeah, so for me, it's a lot about not being judgmental. Mm. And not being judgmental of others is wonderful. It's a wonderful way to live. But also not being judgmental of our feelings or our our progress or our, you know, it's just kind of, so, so that negativity, it's not a, it's not a bad thing, you know, Mm -hmm. but if you were taught that it's a bad thing, you're not supposed to be negative and you're not supposed to be grumpy and you're, you know, you're, you're, you're supposed to be on form. You're supposed to be there for everybody else. If, if we judge anything that's counter to what we've been told as negative or bad, Mm -hmm. then we try and avoid it. Right. And I, I try very hard to say, Oh, that's a feeling that's discomfort. Not so good with that one. Let that go. Uh, Oh, this is a moment of joy. Let me experience it. Let me notice this. And, and I, I try not to kind of put like a, a, this is good and that's bad. You know, and when, the same with my children when 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 they were going through education and going through university, you know, and, and they would say, oh, I did really bad this term. You know, I partied a bit too much or I didn't put in any effort or whatever. I'll say, OK, cool. What did you learn? Like yeah. you're there to learn. Right. Like stop saying you did bad. And it was the same after sporting matches. You know, I would always say to them, how was it? And they would say, oh, we lost. OK, so why are you focusing on the score? I'm talking about how was it? 
you know, yeah. was it, was it fun? Did you learn something? What are you going to do was next it a competitive time? <laughs> environment right? that you can make better next time? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I never ever once asked you what the score was. Mm -hmm. And so this whole bit about, oh, I won or I succeeded or I did these things. Wonderful. Celebrate. I absolutely think we don't celebrate enough. Mm -hmm. But we also don't need to judge those things that don't feel comfortable for us. Just notice them because then they'll leave. They'll go yeah. down the stream in the river. That, that's exactly what I have noticed is that if we just try to shove it down, it can become this nasty, yucky gunk that is just there and hanging over us, almost like that, um, the trust that we were talking about. If we haven't processed those negative feelings, they're somewhere hanging on us and people aren't going to be able to trust us as much. But if we will attack them and process them, and like you said, then they can just flow and be gone. <laughs> and be gone. Yeah. And I, I, I can tell you absolute with absolute certainty that if you keep shoving it down eventually it's going to come out mm -hmm. like i for decades i didn't process my abusive marriage i didn't process you know what was going on with my husband's illness i didn't process my cancer i didn't process any of them i shoved it all down right and there were loads of other things that i just shoved into this very deep well it will come back one day and it's mm -hmm. all going to come out. And if you can imagine that you're now going to clean out this very deep gunky well, you're much better off to just kind of keep it clean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we go back to self-care. We go mm -hmm. back to that. It's important to have that downtime so you can allow yourself to process and go, oh, oh that was a pretty yucky stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that so didn't feel so nice. Let it go. Yeah. Rather yeah. than beating yourself up or telling yourself the stories about it that make it hard to let it go. Mm -hmm. Wow. Some great perspective. Thank we you. really appreciate you being here, Heather, and some wor great words of wisdoms that you have shared. And um, what I'd like to do is kind of wrap this up with one important question. Can you leave our listeners with an exercise, something that they can put into place like immediately to help them have a more prosperous life? Yeah. Um, let's talk about something in feeling good about our bodies. So, mm. um, uh, because I really believe that that's important, right? Is to recognize the and be grateful for the things our bodies do. You know, we don't have to go down to the cellular level of, you know, how how all the little details of your body are, are working, but you need to feel good in your body. It's what sustains us and without it, we're not alive. It's just that mm -hmm. simple. True. So I think it's such a wonderful gift to feel alive in our body. Now, a lot of people will say, including me, put on some music and just dance. Mm. But before I got to, to experience um, burlesque and cabaret and aerial dance and all of those things, I, I knew that I have no rhythm. And I knew that I don't remember choreography, which is really funny because I'm paid professionally to, do, to dance. And I can tell you, you don't have to do those things to be able to dance. Um, and so I wouldn't even dance at weddings or anything like that because I knew I had no rhythm and I can't dance and I'm going to feel uncomfortable. And so I just wouldn't. And then I never got to experience the joy of moving. Mm 
Mm. And so when you when people say put on music and just dance, if you can do that, that's my exercise. Just go do that. Put on put on stuff and let it process and let it come out. Um, and and try not to think about oh I need to move my feet this way or I need to move my hips that way or just let your body take over. But there are some people where that is very foreign to them. And I am one of those people who's experienced that. So I want to offer the exercise of just take a balloon, okay? Just a balloon, party balloon. Mm -hmm. I get them everywhere. Mm -hmm. Blow up a little balloon and just play that game you used to do as a kid, which is keeping the balloon up in the air. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now put on some music that you love, that you feel good about, that you're happy with. It may, you know, it just fills you with joy. And it's your song. Maybe you want to sing out loud as well. Uh, I'm not a singer, but I can certainly, we all need to sing out loud. It's it's really great for our skeleton and a little vibrations. Um, and just, just keep the balloon up in the air. And just, I mean, if you want to do a few balloons, oh, wow. you know, and have that going, then do yeah. that. But what will happen is you'll be moving and your brain will be concentrating on keeping the balloon in the air. So that's that's keeping that part of you busy. And now the rest of you can just move and you can, if you want to sing, sing, but just let your body move to that and play. Oh, and it is it. so joyous. I love it. Uh, I, I think we, I think that is the key to finding happiness and joy in our life is allowing ourselves to play. Giving ourselves time to just enjoy whatever moves us. I, I'm a little more of the I can move however the music moves me, but I like the assignment to have the balloon because that, I'm like you said, it can help our bodies focus and get us moving at all. So I'll have to try it. I have to add the balloon in just for the fun of it. Yeah, because your brain will stop thinking about, oh, am I moving my hips to the music or whatever it is? Or, oh, how, how do I feel in the size that I'm at or the clothes I'm in? Or, you know, like it'll, your brain is now occupied with this balloon. Like keep it busy. Yeah. It's very easy. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it, it always has to be occupied with something. And so it just shuts that element off. And then you just get to play. Oh, and twirl I love and play. <laughs> I think that's so important. I, I really appreciate that as a great exercise, and I hope our listeners will take it on as a challenge. And, and what I find is to assign yourself to do it like once a week to get started or twice a week, to you know, or if you feel really brave, I'm sure Heather and I would both approve of you doing it every day for 30 days in a row just to yeah. see how much more joyous your life will be by allowing yourself to play just like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast, Heather. We, we really appreciate it. And um, tell us how you, we can get in touch with you and um, follow up with you. So I am uh, confidence through cabaret on all of the socials that okay. includes YouTube, that includes a podcast, that includes a website, uh, and all of the socials. It's confidence through cabaret. Okay. Uh, except for Twitter, I'm at YBYWYS. And on Clubhouse, okay. I'm at Heather YBYWYS. And I'm going to tell you why those letters are in there. Uh, because I couldn't have confidence through Cabaret as my username on Twitter and Clubhouse. Uh, and those six letters are something that are very important to me, which is that it is your body, it's your world, and it is your stage. Oh, fun. That's awesome. 
Your body, your world, your state. Great. Well, thank you again, Heather, for sharing your message. And we will include all of those links in our show notes as well. So you can take a look down there um, to connect with Heather and get more information from her. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Marianne Hobson, and I invite you to subscribe, like, comment, and most importantly, share what you've learned with someone you know. The best way to lock it in is to teach someone else. So make sure that you share what you've learned, take action on an exercise or something that you've heard today, and come back to let us know how it's benefited your life and your family. Looking forward to hearing from you soon.